to say thank you to your pastor for inviting us to, to come out and share with you what the Bible has to say about singing, what the Bible has to say even about congregational singing. Um, we come from a little bit of a musical family. Uh, my mom and dad sang. Uh, Lee is a, is a singer. He, uh, he even tried the Nashville Road and uh, lived in Nashville for a little bit. And uh, maybe he can tell you that testimony tomorrow. Uh, I sang in a gospel quartet for years. Um, you might can tell already just by me talking, I'm a bass singer. And uh, so Lee, he has the high, more higher voice. I had the lower range. And people refer to me as the bass singing preacher. Uh, because uh, especially when I was younger, I was more known for my bass voice than I was my preaching. So uh, uh, I, I love music. Probably about three or four years ago, I uh, recorded a CD, a solo CD, and uh, I have a few of those with me if you would like one, if you have a CD player. Not, not many people have a CD player anymore, uh, but I am on Spotify, uh, on YouTube. I think I have like two subscribers, so... Uh, I need some support, okay? I need some help. But uh, we are looking forward to tonight. And let me just say, the meal beforehand was fabulous. Uh, the, I had the potato soup. I don't know who made that, but they did a tremendous job. It was so very good, the desserts. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, tonight and tomorrow. We have no idea what we're doing. But we're going to have fun, okay? Amen. This is our first uh, music camp, singing camp that we've ever put together. And so this is new to us. We're going to try different things. I would encourage you, you have a worksheet there with you. That would just help, uh, you know, remember the things that we're talking about. Um, uh, I guess I'll start out again with a word of prayer, and then we'll get started in this first session our gracious and kind Heavenly Father, Lord, what a privilege it is to just gather together with uh, believers in Christ to whom many that we have never met. And Lord, it is such a wonderful feeling to feel like we're home and feel like we've uh, known these dear folks for many years. And Lord, that's just the unity that we have in Christ Jesus and Father, I pray that as we think about such uh, really lofty things as singing, singing is a gift uh, that you have given to mankind that, uh, that is an instrument used uh, for your glory, for your honor as we praise and worship you. And Father, I pray that you would help us to, to do what we can uh, to elevate the singing. Father, what I heard just prior to me coming up sounded wonderful, sounded great. But Father, there's always, we can always uh, uh, better that. We can sing louder. We can uh, continue to grow in that instrument. So Father, I pray that you bless this time. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want to start out just by uh, 
this is not in your notes, so what I'm going to be speaking here is free of charge, okay? But I want to talk about some things that have, I believe, caused this, uh, this digression of congr uh, congregational singing. Uh, I believe it's very evident. It is not just here that uh, maybe uh, Brother Bruce may be concerned about uh, uh, the, maybe the lack of participation or whatever. Uh, this is something that I'm facing where I'm at as a pastor. Many churches are facing this, where there is this, this lack of, of uh, really just unity in song, congregationally speaking. I, I think there are many factors in this. This was not always the case. Congregational singing, if you study it out, was a very strong thing in a, in a local church. It was a very, uh, very strong thing, but through time, um, that's kind of uh, declined uh, quite a bit in, in some places. I, I think the first thing that has helped in this decline in congregational singing or hurt is individualism. Individualism, and that is preferences versus principles. Preferences versus principles. Uh, over the last several years, there has been a growing emphasis on tailoring worship to meet the individual needs of a person. Uh, we have taken the church as a whole, taken this Burger King type slogan, have it your way. And whatever taste of music you like in a particular church, whatever form of worship you like, then we're going to tailor that for you. That's not healthy. A lot of times I get this response uh, when I'm talking about this, and somebody will say, well, I just like to worship this way. I like this style. I like this. Never once do they consider what does God like? What does God receive? He doesn't receive every kind of worship. Hebrews tells us that we are to worship God in reverence and in awe. Why? Because the Bible tells us uh, He is a consuming fire. So we are to worship Him in holiness. We're not to worship just based upon our preferences. Some people are like, well, I like the praise team. I like the contemporary. And if it's a traditional song, well, I'm just not going to sing. Or vice versa. They'll say, well, I like the traditional. I like the hymns. And if it's a new song, they'll be like, well, I'm not going to sing. We do not sing to ourselves for ourselves. We are to sing unto the Lord. So when I started pastoring back in the late 90s, churches, at least in central Arkansas, were in what we would call worship wars, where there had been an introduction to this contemporary movement, and some of the ch uh, church members didn't like it, some did, and so they started a 
two church service worship style where you had traditional music in one service, contemporary music in the other, and that didn't last very long. Uh, one normally was treated with more, had more uh, time and care, and that was the one that had the more people. And um, really what that led to, even though they were trying to aim to accommodate different uh, person's preferences, it inadvertently fragmented many churches. And during that time period, it, it really, we don't know how we can even calculate how many churches were hurt in that time period. So I think just the fact that individualism creeping into our culture, um, where our preferences are higher than anything else. That's the meter. And if we don't meet that need, then I'm not going to participate. That's not the right attitude. That might be the attitude of our culture. We're very, you know, we take what? Selfies today. Selfies. We're very individualistic today. Another reason I think there's this downgrade in congregational singing is the lack of musical training among individuals. I mean, how many young people do you know today are, are taking piano lessons, are taking music lessons? Uh, that's no longer a, a priority like it used to be. It used to be something that uh, a family would, would encourage, um, but we don't see that much anymore. I think for two reasons. Number one, sports. Sports, I don't know, maybe here in Nashville, but in central Arkansas, it's a big thing for children to play sports. I love sports. I played baseball. I played football, played basketball, all those things. But today there is a different level than what it was generations ago. There is a generation now that is you eat, breathe sports. And I think that has taken away then the artistic ability that young people are missing out on. They're getting in on the physical uh, side of life, but they're missing out then on the artistic side that really God created us all as musicians, every one of us. Now, some may be farther along than others, but God's given you a voice. And with that voice, you can use that voice for the glory of God. And so if you look at that and you say, I, I'm not much of a musician. Well, you are. You really are. You have to see yourself as that because God created you musically. He created you to sing. And so I think that's a big, big thing. Um, also, previous generations, and, and Brother Bruce mentioned this earlier, music education in previous generations was much more common than it is today. Uh, and I mean, how, how many of y'all remember the old singing schools? Y'all remember any of that? Some of y'all do. Some, uh, that used to be a very prevalent thing back in the day where they would have singing conventions. Uh, y'all know what Stamps Baxter hymns, hymns are? The old shape notes. Y'all don't know what that is? My soul. See, I'm more country than y'all are. And uh, I thought we was 
out here in the boondocks, but uh, I'm thinking I'm more, more country than y'all are. But anyway, yeah, back in the day, they used to have singing schools where uh, churches and communities would gather and they learn how to sing the shape notes and uh, learn how to sing those old Stamps Baxter songs and so forth. But it's important that we address some of these issues because, again, uh, it, it's a very tough thing when churches are struggling to get participation in singing. These are challenging things because how does a church try to fix such a multi-faceted uh, uh, problem? Well, I think it requires what we're doing tonight. It requires for us to take some time to focus on what the Bible has to say about singing and try to build upon that. So all that was just kind of an introduction to what we're looking at. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. In verse 26, it says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now notice verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. I want to speak to you tonight really mainly on that one verse, verse 30, on this topic, the singing Savior and His singing saints. Our passage takes place on a Thursday night. It had been a very, very busy day for Jesus and His disciples. Jesus and His, his disciples went into the upper room and there several important things took place. We know the Bible tells us earlier that Jesus washed His disciples' feet. What a humbling thing to do for the King of glory to stoop down to what a servant, a lowly servant would do. But Jesus washed His disciples' feet. Our, our text tells us just prior to this one that Jesus and His disciples observed Passover for the last time that it would have been ordained by God or sanctioned by God. During the observance of Passover, we know that Judas was exposed as the traitor. And having been exposed as the traitor, he, then, he was then expelled from the room to act upon his dastardly deed. On this, and then after... Judas left the room. Jesus and His disciples observed the Lord's Supper for the first time that it would have ever been observed in the Christian faith. 
And so on this special night, we see the passing of the old in which they observed the Passover for the last time and the introduction to the new as they observed the Lord's Supper for the very first time. But now the evening was about over and in just a few moments, the Lord Jesus and His disciples would leave that room. They would go down the Kidron Valley over into the Garden of Gethsemane and there Jesus is going to pray. And while Jesus is praying, Jesus is arrested. The temple guards come and they take Jesus. They arrest Him. And after He is arrested, He goes through six different trials. Three trials that are Jewish trials. Three trials that are Roman trials. And all six of them were immoral. All six of them were illegal. The Jewish trials broke Jewish law. The Roman trials broke Roman law. After those six trials were over, Jesus is going to be ridiculed. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be spat upon. He is going to have chunks of beard uh, pulled out from His face. His back is going to be ripped by a whip called the cat of nine tails. And so all of that is just ahead of Jesus on this very night as we read verse 30. All of that which I have described to you is just around the corner, fixing to happen the next day. But we find here at the midnight hour, on this Thursday night, Jesus is not crying. Jesus is not running. Jesus is not trembling. Jesus is not trying to hide. What do we find Him doing? He's singing. Singing. Friend, do you realize tonight that we have a singing Savior? We have a singing Savior. The Bible says in verse 30, when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Now here's the question, why did Jesus sing? Why did Jesus sing? Well, in your notes, Jesus sees singing as a spiritual discipline. Jesus sees singing as a spiritual discipline. What is a spiritual discipline? You have a definition there. It is an intentional activity that's rooted in the Word of God. It's aimed for our deepening of our relationship with God, fostering spiritual maturity as we are more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And the Lord in His grace and mercy has given us several means in which we, when we apply these disciplines, helps us in our relationship with the Heavenly Father. It grows us in Christ. And as that worksheet tells us, those disciplines are prayer, Fasting, Bible study, worship, singing, and service. All of those are means. All of those are vehicles that God has given us to know Him better. 
If you want to know God as He is, you have the Word of God where He has revealed Himself. You can pray to the Heavenly Father. You can uh, uh, fast in, in showing the, uh, the attitude of your heart toward the uh, specific things you're praying over. So Jesus sees singing as a spiritual discipline. Now, notice as we think about singing as a spiritual discipline, notice on the sub-point A, singing is a means of edification. Okay? Singing is a means of edification. That is, a means of building us up. Singing serves as a powerful means of building us up within the body of Christ. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And so through congregational singing, believers are encouraged to meditate upon the Word of God, meditate upon the things of God. Singing about, meditating about the truths that we know about God. Singing provides an opportunity for mutual encouragement and admonishment as believers unite in worship. You are actually admonishing and encouraging one another when you are singing. And the individual next to you hears your singing. So singing is a means of edification. It is a spiritual discipline. Now think about this. If it's a, a, a spiritual discipline, and it is, don't you think we ought to focus on that more than what we typically do? And I, what I mean is this. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. It is not uncommon whatsoever to find a conference on the theme of prayer. It is not uncommon whatsoever to find a conference on the theme of fasting. But it is uncommon today to find a conference that is themed around singing and worship. Singing is a spiritual discipline that has been sadly neglected over the years. The the second thing I want you to notice, uh, sub-point B, is the transformative power of singing. The transformative power of singing. Singing possesses a transformative power that extends beyond uh, just mere musical expression. James chapter 5, verse 13. It says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. And you can take that vice versa. If anyone is suffering, let him sing. If anyone is cheerful, let him pray. You can use those spiritual disciplines either way. Because, listen, singing can be done in times of joy. Singing can be done in times of suffering. What did Paul and Silas do at that midnight hour as they were being beaten and in the Philippian jail? They sung a hymn. They sang praises to God. 
And so we see that singing, beloved, is a powerful thing. You might remember the story of King Saul in the Old Testament when he had a, well, the Bible talks about a foul spirit, a, 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 a depressing spirit come over him. Do you, do you remember what he asked for? He asked for David to come, young David, to play an instrument. And the Bible tells us that when he played that instrument, that evil spirit departed. Music is powerful. God created it to be powerful, and it is. So through the act of singing, believers are invited into a deeper experience of intimacy with the Lord. Singing has the capacity to uplift the soul. Singing has the uh, uh, capacity to uh, dispel the darkness and usher in the presence of God's Spirit. As believers, as we pour our hearts out in worship and in song, listen, we are transformed from glory to glory. I can't tell you how many times I have come into a worship service and been a little down in the, in the dumps. And I don't know if you know this, but preachers get down too. And, and, and sometimes we're just maybe more down than at various times, but how the music, the Lord uses the hymns, He uses the music to uplift the soul. And so singing is not merely a matter of personal preference or music ability. Rather, it is a spiritual discipline that enables believers to worship God in spirit and in truth. Notice secondly, Jesus sees singing as a sanctified declaration. He sees singing as a sanctified declaration. Now, what is Jesus declaring here in our text when Matthew tells us that at in verse 30, that after that first Lord's Supper, that they sang a hymn. Well, it tells us, first of all, I believe, that Jesus expects every believer to sing. Jesus expects every believer to sing. Listen, I have been in a lot of churches in the years of ministry where I have been singing or preaching and almost everywhere I go, you hardly ever uh, see a woman not singing when the congregation sings. I mean, when a woman does not sing, normally there is usually something wrong. Maybe something wrong physically, maybe something wrong emotionally. But you hardly ever see a woman not sing. But in almost every church that I have attended over the years and have been a pastor of for some 25, about 23 years, I have observed that there are always some men who won't sing. Not can't sing, but just won't sing. Now everybody around them might be singing, and the song leader will be doing everything he can to encourage their singing. Yet there are always some men who just will not sing. 
And, and listen, I don't know you guys from Adam. And, and your pastor has not told me who sings and who don't sing. I'm just basing this off of, of, off of experience and the things that I've witnessed generally over the years. There's always in every church some men who will not sing. And if you ask them why they're not singing, they will say something like this, Oh, oh preacher, I, I don't sing because I cannot carry a tune in the bucket. And pretty soon you'll look, they'll look at you as if to say, Preacher, hey look, singing may be okay for the women. Singing may be okay for the children. But I'm a man. I'm a real man. And so I don't sing. But guess what? Jesus expects every believer to sing. Okay? Now, think about the personalities that were in this upper room at the moment that they sang a hymn. Think about the rugged personality of Peter. And you talk about a man's man. Peter was a man's man. He was about as tough, I, I could imagine, as, as any man. You think about his brother Andrew, fisherman by trade, very blue-collar vocation. We think about James and John, the sons of thunder, as they were known. They were singing. When Matthew tells us, and they sang a hymn, that means they all sang. And notice Matthew doesn't say they all sang a hymn on pitch. Or they all sang a hymn on the right key. He doesn't say that. It says that they sang a hymn. And they were singing to Him. We have to understand that God does not hear the quality don't be worried so much about the quality of your voice, of your vocal. Be more concerned about the heart. Be more concerned about asking yourself, examining yourself, okay, why is it do I not sing? So these are things that we must think through as we think about having this singing camp. So we notice that Peter sings. We notice that the disciples sing. We notice that Jesus himself sings. Jesus was more of a man's man than you and I will ever be. But notice we don't sing because we can sing. We sing because we have a song to sing. You know, I, I, I'm picking on the men because I am one, okay? So I, I'm going to pick on you, but I, I, I do this out of love. And, and look, every man here may sing louder than, you know, that the general church population does. But when a man sings, he first of all is saying that he is unashamed of his relationship with God. He doesn't care what others think. 
He is unashamed of his relationship with God. When I look around and I see a man opening up his mouth, singing from his heart, I say to myself, now there is a fellow who's not ashamed of Jesus. Another reason why a man sings is that it declares that he's unafraid of what other people may think about him. That would probably be the number one reason why if you're a man tonight and you're here and you don't typically sing, or if you sing, you're barely making a whisper. It's because you're concerned about what the other person in front of you or behind you or beside you thinks. Typically, that's the reason. I have watched when some men start to sing that their own wives start to move down the pew a little bit. Their children look up at them and they snicker a little bit. But I'm telling you, when a man sings, he is saying, I am unafraid of what others may think. As he thinks about what Christ has done for him and the price that Christ has paid, he sings from his heart. Jesus, notice point, subpoint B, Jesus expects us to embrace humility in worship. So participation in congregational singing requires willingness to humble yourselves before God and one another. And as I said, for many men, the act of singing may evoke feelings of self consciousness and inadequacy and think, well, I don't know how to sing. I'm not a good singer. I'm just not going to sing. That's not the way to think about it. It is very important that men, you humble yourself in worship. You humble yourself to such a degree that you're not worried about what others may think. You're more concerned about what the Heavenly Father thinks, and receives as worship. It's important to have men singing. If you, if a church can get the men to sing, the men will get their wives to sing. The men will get their children to sing. You know, it, it's the stats tell us if you get a man of the, the head of the home to come to church, you'll, you'll get the family. A lot of truth in that. Same thing with singing. If a man opens up and just lets her fly, <laughs> the wife will do the same thing. And that young child watching his or her father sing will grow up thinking that that's the, that's the thing to do. My daddy sang. I'm going to sing. Notice thirdly, lastly, Jesus sees singing as being a gift. Jesus sees singing as being a gift. We see this in Psalm 40. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, 
out of the miry clay, and He set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and trust and will trust in the Lord. We see here that, that singing is a gift that is bestowed from God to us. And we notice as our text tells us in subpoint A, that Jesus does not sing alone. That, that's what our text is speaking of. You, you, and they, plural, all, all the 11 disciples and Jesus were singing. Jesus does not sing alone. They were all singing. Jesus never sings solo. Jesus never sings alone. He never sings by Himself. He always gives others a song to sing. Psalm 40. You see, when you came to Jesus, when Jesus saved you, God gave, He put a song in your mouth. It does not mean that you sing well. It doesn't mean that you're going to sing on a concert stage. You just sing because a song is there. You sing because a song is there. And that song was placed there by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ when He saved your soul. Fourthly, this is the last thing, I believe. Very quickly. Jesus sees congregational singing as spiritually unifying. Jesus sees congregational singing as spiritually unifying. In subpoint A, congregational singing fosters unity and fellowship. I love Psalm 133, verse 1. It says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And listen, congregational singing serves as a powerful, powerful catalyst for fostering unity and fellowship within the body of Christ. Congregational singing. As believers join their voices in praise and adoration, they bear witness to the, uh, to the profound truth that they are members of one spiritual family. They are united in one common faith in Jesus Christ alone. So in the midst of a very much fragmented and divided world, congregational singing provides a sacred space where I believe barriers can be broken down. Hearts are knit together in love and the bonds of Christian fellowship are strengthened when a congregation in unison sings such things as amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That, my dear friend, when it's done from a heart of worship, fosters unity and fellowship. And that, my dear friend, is a sweet aroma 
and the nostrils of our Heavenly Father as He accepts our worship. Let's pray together. Our Father, Lord, we are grateful, Lord, for this evening. We're grateful, Lord, for this gathering. Such a good crowd tonight on a Friday night uh, to attend uh, a conference on singing. It's something that is not, uh, not very popular in, in just the, the uh, outside world, especially as we think about congregational singing. The world sees this as an outdated, uh, traditional uh, thing of the past. But Lord, we believe that you have blessed and sanctioned and ordained the body of Christ to sing. And Lord, we're not to be spectators in worship. We are to be participants. And Father, I pray that you would bless each and every person here. God, I pray that you would foster within our hearts uh, uh, just a, a stronger zeal and passion to sing for the glory of God. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.